Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we look ahead to some of the stories and events that are going to be grabbing the headlines and certainly moving markets in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. This week, that means taking the pulse of the banking sector, digging deep on those miners and housing stock. Is it really wise to be overexposed to property companies in your portfolio? I'm joined by Catherine Griffiths, the banking editor of The Times, Marcus LaRue, our trade correspondent and indeed resident expert on all things below the ground, and Callum Jones, The Times markets reporter. He keeps a weather eye on all of these companies and, of course, many others besides. Welcome to you all. Catherine, can I start with you? We've got the full year bank reporting season. I mean, broadly, we're thinking Lloyds, Barclays, Royal Bank of Scotland and Standard Chartered here. But one of the things I wanted to ask you, I noticed, first of all, we we uh, had a bounce in the sector. And when I looked for why, it said that uh, it's being attributed to President Trump's executive order to repeal something called the Dodd-Frank rules. This is how he described it. Today, we're assigning core principles for regulating the United States financial system. Doesn't get much bigger than that, right? Catherine, how does that affect UK banks? Why should they bounce? Well, uh, some banks have significant businesses in the US, uh, primarily Barclays. And Barclays probably is the one that would be affected the most if Trump did roll back some of the Dodd-Frank regulations because it has a very significant investment banking business in the States. And one of the things that may go um, is the Volcker rule, which primarily stops banks from proprietary trading. Um, That means betting their own money, presumably, sometimes against the house, perhaps. Yes, that's right. Um, And our Royal Bank of Scotland has some business in this state still, although really only quite a small bit now. Um, But obviously, banks like HSBC, too, would be affected. And I think partly why there was a bounce is just a sort of a general sentiment point that if the biggest economy in the world is kind of moving to be friendlier to banks again, then that should be good news for banks. But I think some people think it's um, being misread a bit, actually, because while Trump has been saying those things, it's actually not very clear at all what he really means by rolling back on Dodd-Frank. And some people think it's going to be very limited. And at the same time, there have been some sort of smoke signals coming out that actually the US stress tests are going to get tougher So actually, net-net banks might find themselves facing sort of tougher capital rules and and actually not, you know, popping the champagne corks. 
Certainly. Uh, it's safe to say that since Donald Trump's election, banks have been on banking stocks, both in America and here, have been on the rise. There's no doubt about that. And particularly when this Dodd-Frank report first came out, I think it was the journal that first that first had the story. The bank searched on both this side and the other of the Atlantic. Barclays was definitely leading the way there, primarily, as Catherine says, because uh, because it's got the, the largest amount of exposure in the States. And, and RBS particularly is doing... Uh, very well. I think it hit a low of about 149p not so long ago, and now it's up almost a pound, I think. So it's up about 9% this year to about 245p. It's doing very, very well. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens next. Certainly, it doesn't seem like they're looking back. Uh, And definitely when Donald Trump, I think he only said about a sentence in a meeting uh, on camera a couple of weeks ago about a, a pending tax announcement, which is due before the end of the month, and financial stocks just surged within minutes. And he really does have that power at the moment. Doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. It's it's interesting. I mean, I wonder how much with with the share price reaction to Trump that we've seen, you know, across the board from the infrastructure boom when he was just been uh, elected to the you know, the stock-specific um, uh, announcements when he said that he's renegotiating, you know, the Air Force One contract, the, the pharma uh, pronouncements we were talking about uh, a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, you know, how much it's a case of sort of, you know, buying in haste and repenting at, at leisure that um, separating the mouth from the trouser with this president is going, to be the, is going to be the difficult thing. And I suppose actually one of the most interesting thing for me is where this is coming from. You have this coterie of advisors with Trump. Um, some of them are, you know, China hawks and protectionists who uh, don't reflect the mainstream of American business and economics thinking. And then some of them, like Gary Cohn, which seems to be where people are suggesting of Goldman Sachs fame, uh, who seems to possibly be behind the the, the Dodd Frank um, activism, so maybe taking a slightly more a slightly more pragmatic pro business approach. And I suppose that kind of gets to the, the the may well get to the bottom of, of, of how you know how, how serious he is about these reforms and what direction they 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 go in. Um and you know more than one person's pointed out there is a small irony in you know Donald Trump um representing the forgotten left behind Americans in the Rust Belt going about uh, liberalizing the banking sector at the behest of a, a former chief operating officer of Goldman Sachs. <laughs> the triple trickle down effect, though, Catherine. I mean, it may or may not happen. But looking at the state of the banks, as you're going to be uh, reporting on them, are you reasonably optimistic looking forward to this, this forthcoming season? Um, I think it's going to be a fairly steady kind of reporting season. But I think for the big banks that sit here, it, what's interesting, actually, just thinking about all that Trump stuff, is the context that the UK banks are operating in, which is one where a new prime minister has made some fairly sort of anti-business comments. Um, but at the same time, there's been a move within sort of policy circles to be more to shift more towards competition again. So we saw the um, the Financial Conduct Authority change change its chief executive. Uh, last year, it's now Andrew Bailey, who is a sort of a very, a very kind of upright, impressive person, but one who was put into that job to kind of rebalance the way regulation happens in this country, so that it isn't kind of completely bashing banks anymore. Supposedly, that was a kind of supposed view of of the old regime, and is more kind of about promoting growth and competition. So. It's it's a sort of more nuanced picture over here, and I think it's quite difficult for big banks to sort of quite feel their way as to how they should position themselves. 
Uh, Catherine, there was a report last week about uh, about Barclays and how it was looking at freezing its uh, chief exec's pay for the coming three years. I wonder how vulnerable do you think the banks are? And I know this is slightly different note, but it all ties in together to the same topic. Uh, I wonder how vulnerable you think the banks are to that sort of rally over pay at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think the banks are always have since the financial crisis the banks have been extremely vulnerable to pay rows um it has it has lessened over the years but uh certainly i think in the case of barclays that looked like a kind of a preemptive move because um the chief executive there who's american um is going to be paid really quite a lot of money for the next 3 years but it was obviously a sort of um something to a sort of a sop to investors um i think with Royal Bank of Scotland, the chief executive there, Ross McEwen, will will get hammered on pay, frankly, whatever he gets paid this year. because And it's actually slightly awkward for him this year because while he's kind of still, still just about the new guy, he's about to announce some more big cuts, which of course means job cuts. And so that will create some kind of um, hoo-ha. I suppose a final thought on the banks before we leave, actually I just realised, is it Lloyd's? Most of them now don't have actually UK nationals heading them anymore. But uh, moving, what's important really here, I suppose, the bottom line for millions of investors really is the dividend. Are you expecting any shocks on that front? Um, no, there was uh, there was a bit of work done in the last couple of days, which I think said that barring any kind of big surprises, dividend payments collectively would be bigger this year for the first time than conduct payments from the banks. So the things like PPI mis-selling payments. So, you know, I suppose that's a moment. But obviously, if you are a, a shareholder in Royal Bank of Scotland, um, there aren't that many small shareholders in Royal Bank of Scotland, but there are some, then of course, you aren't, you aren't getting any dividends for some considerable time. Okay, well, let's move on now. We mentioned the miners there. We're expecting to hear from Fedanta, BHP, Billiton and Anglo-American. Marcus, just set the scene for us. Nice bouncing commodities recently, as you've been writing in the paper. Uh, absolutely, and they've all been reaping the reaping the benefits after you know a, a, a real surprise lurch down towards the end of 20, 2014, 2015 on, onwards, when when people really had the sense they'd come through the the, the worst that you know the, the the petering out of the China boom had to deliver. Then suddenly they realised actually the markets had more in store for them. Um, uh, and the question I think now is that the people having had this little um, this mini resurgence, this bounce back in, 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 in most of the major commodities, you know, iron ore, copper, coal. Um, it's the, the longevity and people are beginning to say across a number of, you know, number of the commodities that actually perhaps were, were poised for a, a little bit of a correction in the other the other direction, you know, that the coal uh, story is is one of the the crazier ones out there because it's it's totally altered by the the Chinese policy of whether you know whether they let the mines run seven days a week as they used to or two hundred and seventy odd days a year and that <laughs> that led to the the price of coking coal practically treble in a few in a few months and the Chinese government realised that you know as as is the want in command economies that um, the reaction was a little bit sharper than they'd envisaged and started trying uh, trying to use other levers to to move the price back in the other direction so. It's a kind of you know um, it's buckle down and see what happens for the, for these guys. They're the ultimate price takers. You know that sixty two percent iron ore fines are, are the same whether you get them from BHP, Billiton, or, or, or Rio Tinto. Um, so um, so they don't really have you know all it can do is hedge a little bit and and, and see what prices um, prices the market delivers. 
Arnor similarly, I think people are suggest, you know, I was reading something only earlier today saying that, that the market's probably um due a bit of a, a bit of a correction because there's there are big stocks in Chinese steel mills. It'll be an interesting few months for the for the miners and I think they'll be caught between you know, betwixt and between. One will be saying, right, well actually we're doing okay here. We can think about expansion again and we might have a mandate from shareholders and shareholders are don't have the best memories for these uh, quite often, so they'll be banging the drum saying you have to, you have to, you know, where's the growth coming from? But they'll also be be trying to show that they've, you know, they've they've accepted the lessons of of the um, of the bust and that they're not going to to over overextend. But uh, so I, I think that'll be the interesting point to watch at this inflection point is how they balance, you know, the sort of the the sackcloth and ashes of of old with uh, the old urges. And it's certainly uh, it's certainly safe to say it's been a frenetic start. To the, for the mining sector to, the, to 2017 so far, we've seen over the past uh, over the past couple of months we've seen uh, j- just big movements every single day. And of course, recently what you wrote about uh, just this week, Marcus, was the fact that the world's two biggest copper mines were, were were hit production big time, and that has sent the price of copper soaring. Actually, set mining stocks soaring, and uh, it, it really seems like analysts were taking quite a positive view about where where the price of copper might go later this year. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, copper's copper's the the is 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 an interesting one because it's quite flaky. Um, you know, between droughts in the Atacama Desert and or you know striking miners or or, um, who knows what will happen in the Congo later later this this year. There, you know, plus the, the nature of the geology of it, it's quite difficult to to get out of the ground in the same quantities as you did the previous year. So copper is the one where you know deficits can suddenly loom up with a you know where where people had thought the market was pretty well balanced, um, and you get that element of volatility. Um, so yeah, I mean the copper picture looks a little bit different to certainly Arnor in in that uh, with you know Grasberg and Escondida as you said in Indonesia and uh, Chile respectively, that's about nine percent of the global copper yeah. su- supply. You know, and if they're both down tools at the same time, then you're going to notice that in pretty in pretty short order. Mm. Just a final brief thought on that, Marcus, as, as we asked Catherine. I mean, the dividends, again, very important to our pension funds and indeed to individual investors. No nasty shocks here, are there? I don't think so. I mean, they've got the bad news out of the way and that that they all had uh, progressive dividend commitments, which they've, which they've ditched. So, um, you know, it, it, it's been, I think, there's there's a consensus across the industry that, that promising to, to ever increase your dividend payment in a highly cyclical price-taking industry like mining is a very bright idea. Um, so they're, they're, they've all moved towards payout ratios. So there should be, there's a fair amount of visibility now, but it's not the, the, the bonanza with impossible yields that you were expecting a couple of years ago. Okay, well, don't forget you can keep up to date with all those company results as they break. Both Marcus and Catherine will be watching. That'll be online in the paper uh, and indeed on your iPad and phones. We're going to take a short break now and when we return, we'll check in on this. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. 2016 has been branded the year of the SME. This is your year. Time for your business to stand out. Are you ready? Vodafone's Ready Business Britain, in association with The Times and Sunday Times, has all the advice, insight and analysis your business needs to make this your year. Get ready. Visit Ready Business... 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Britain.co.uk. Welcome back. That, by the way, was the sound of houses being built. Callum Jones were expecting quite a number of the house builders to report. It does matter to us all. I know some people obsessively talk about house prices going up and down, but broadly speaking, looking at them as, again, as we said about banks and miners, a, a big haven for private investors' money through real estate investment trust builders. What's the state of the industry at the moment? It's had an interesting few months, and it'll be very, very interesting to see how investors respond to the results over the, over the coming week or so. I think uh, the housing strategy from the government for England and Wales is very much at the heart of a... Uh, at the at the heart of their movement so far over the coming weeks, so I think it was just for England. Forgive me. There was so much speculation and rumour about this strategy. No one really knew what it was going to say for the months leading up to its publication. That uh, understandably, investors and the city were, were quite nervous about it. So much so that in the days beforehand, when there were when there was trailing and briefing by ministers and officials in in Westminster and Whitehall. Uh, that they were down quite low. They were down quite low. But since that publication, although it wasn't necessarily easy on house builders, it wasn't as hard as some had expected. So the house building sector has pretty much recovered almost entirely already since its publication. So it's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster year so far for the sector, but it'll be very interesting to see what happens over the coming week. But do you get the sense when they report that they will be saying looking forward that they're going to be increasing the amount of housing stock and indeed getting rid of it as they build it. There's going to be nothing left unsold. Do you get that feeling that there is demand for what they build? Because some of these places aren't cheap, as we all know. You just look around wherever you live and you think, I mean, how can anyone afford to live in there? I, I really get the sense that although they have recovered since the publication of the strategy, uh, I certainly think there are a lot of unanswered questions about that. And analysts will be 
desperately trying to find some when they publish their results, how it will affect each individual house builder. Some are quietly suggesting that certain measures are going to hit them harder than others. And it'll be very interesting to see whether they're willing to answer any of those, uh, any of those concerns publicly. Catherine, if I could bring you in here, of course, underpinning all this is the mortgage market. Banks being very, very big in this business, naturally. Have you seen anything that you hear from the banking side that they're worried about this white paper that Callum referred to? Or do you think that as far as they're concerned, the conditions are right, there's enough housing stock, and they're quite happy to lend into this market as it exists at the moment? Yeah, I think banks are extremely keen to lend into the mortgage market. And it's certainly a very, very competitive market. Um, what you see what you see in the mortgage market for banks is certain banks lend into certain areas. So there's been an awful lot of lending into buy-to-let among the smaller banks uh, because it's been more profitable for them because they haven't got they haven't got the cheap, cheap, cheap funding costs of lending into mainstream mortgages that say a Lloyd's has. That could all change um, because of international capital rules, Basel rules, which may just completely take the ground from under some of the, the bigger banks. On, on mortgage lending and certainly something like a Lloyd's I think is really quite worried because it's the biggest mortgage provider in this country. If suddenly its funding costs change, that could materially change the, the economics of, of um, the house price market. So if I can ask a, a slightly biased, self-interested question, will, <laughs> will international accounting rules raise the cost of my mortgage? Yes, they could do, yes. And that's without the costs of lending. That is simply the cost that they borrow at and lend on to. And I presume that affects very much the fixed rate market, doesn't it? Because they go in and borrow at certain rates for certain tranches. They get 100 million or whatever. Yeah. So the issue, the issue here is, and this is a delightful world of bank regulation, but the issue here is something called Basel IV, which if you listen to Mark Carney, the Bank of England governor, doesn't exist. But everyone else knows that it does exist. And what it is, is a incoming set of rules which are focused on the risks, the focused on the, the models that banks can use, um, which are then used for their funding costs. And what it means basically is that something like a Lloyd's or a Nationwide, which are the two biggest mortgage providers in this country, can get funding at an incredibly low rate because they have so many plain vanilla mortgages on their books that they're seen to be very, very low risk. Whereas a smaller bank, a newer bank, is can't use those internal risk models and so they have much higher funding costs. And that's why you see all these small banks piling into the buy-to-let market, for example. But basically, under Basel IV, if it actually happens, there's a move to stop these big banks using these ultra-low funding cost models. And it actually really could mean that a Lloyd's or a Nationwide will have higher funding costs. The The offset against that argument is that, is that the Bank of England is very aware of this and has sort of said, don't worry, big banks, we, we've got your back, to use you know the kids' te- phrase these days. So, What's Cardi saying that, actually? Carney might like to say that, yeah. Um, so it's kind of up in the air at the moment, but it is it is a distinct possibility. So like all of these sequels, far worse than the original ones, Basel Four, Rocky Five, exactly. Godfather Three. The list yeah. is endless, but um, good luck with asking for that pay rise then, Marcus. 
Anyway, thank you all very much. Lots to think about there. Remember, you, they will be keeping up to date with all those results uh, and analysis online, on your phone, tablet, in the paper. Uh, and if you would like to sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails, if you're a subscriber, then please do so. It's well worth it. And uh, if you want to subscribe, just go to thetimes.co.uk. There's a special offer there for £1. If you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes uh, and do post your comments. Uh, feel free to or email us, christianname.surname at the times.co.uk. My thanks to Callum Jones, Marcus LaRue, and of course, Catherine Griffiths. They're all on Twitter, so you know what to do. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next week. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's Ready Business Britain.